Okay, so the Apostles' Creed, we've finished the first section. I keep meaning to print it out and I always forget, but we've finished the first section. You might remember if you, can, if you, if you remember the whole creed, that it basically splits into three sections. That the persons of the Trinity are the Father. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We've finished that section. The last section is I believe in the Holy Spirit um, and what he does for us. So he talks about bringing us into the church and forgiveness of sins. And then the middle section is what we're on to now. Uh, the Son. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Um, even then, even, as far as, even when you've only got as far as I believe in Jesus, you've already hit something pretty significant. Remember Creed, it, it, it begins, I believe in God. Okay, and that's right. Okay? Muslims who are along with me say, yes, absolutely, amen. Jews who are coming up, yeah, amen, we should believe in God. They then hear us say, I believe in Jesus. And straight away, whoa, 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 whoa. Because you're saying you believe in something alongside God? To which the answer, of course, is yes, but <laughs> Jesus is not a different being, but Jesus himself is God. So we're going to think a little bit about Jesus being son and then a little bit about Jesus being Christ. So I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. Jesus in the creed and indeed in the scriptures is called the only son. Some, some translations, the only begotten son. Now we're all sons of God. We're all adopted as sons of God when we become Christians. Even women are adopted as sons because the sons are the ones who inherit so that's why probably your Bible doesn't talk about sons and daughters. It talks about sons because you're the one to inherit. But in the creed, the emphasis, I believe in his only son. The emphasis is on Jesus' unique sonship, his eternal sonship. So when did Jesus become son? Well, he's always been son. Uh, John 1. Let's look at John 1. Oh, just a minute. You've got questions on your sheet, haven't you? Have you got a discussion question? Okay, let's do that in two minutes, okay? Forget John 1. I don't have on my sheet. That's my bad for not copying your own. Okay, round tables. Is it the one about... Yes, the Muslim friend says the Bible never claims Jesus is God. No, I'm wrong. I'm going to keep talking. Then you're going to do the discussion. There we go. Okay, John 1. Sorry. That's me not, not copying and pasting, Riley. John 1. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God... And the word was God. So you've got the witness and the wasness. So here's this character, the word. He's both with God. So there's a distinction between the word and God. And yet he is God. Uh, who is this word? Verse 14. Obviously lots going on in John 1. But John 1, 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word, well that is the one who comes to earth that is the son of god he becomes jesus takes the name jesus and as we saw when we looked about god uh, the father uh, the son is begotten uh, in john 1 um, 14 we've seen his glory glory as of the only son that the word there in traditional more traditional translation only begotten I think it's helpful to have that only begotten in there rather than just only he is the only begotten son. What does it mean to be begotten? Um, you beget something of, your same, of the same nature. Okay, so uh, a, a rabbit begets rabbits. Rabbit has rabbit babies. Dogs beget dogs. So when we say that the son is the only begotten son of the father, we're saying he's of the same nature of the father. The difference, of course, between us having children and God having a son 
it is that God did not make his son. There was no beginning. He shares the entire, the son shares the entire same nature as the father. There is nothing true of God the son that is not also true of God the father and vice versa. Other than one is father and one is son. Other than that, no difference. That's not not the same with human children, is it? So I've got a son, Henry. Um, Not everything that is true of me is true of him. Okay, so we're both right-handed, I think. We're both very good looking. There's various things that have been like communicated to him, but he's got kind of blonde hair, I've got brown hair. There's things about us that are, that are different. Not so with father and son uh, in the Godhead. There is nothing different about their character, their power or abilities, their knowledge, their wisdom, their love. So we shouldn't think of God the Father as the kind of almighty one, as if he's the one with the power, and then Jesus is, say, the one with the love. No, the Father and the Son are equally almighty, the Father and the Son are equally all-loving, all-gracious, all-merciful, all-holy, all... You get the point. And we're not going to spend ages on this because we thought about it, I don't know, three, four weeks ago when we thought about God the Father. But this is something that the early church fought tooth and nail to protect the full divinity of Christ, the absolute full divinity of Christ. Um, so for, for no good reason other than... It's quite fun stories. Um, one of the early church fathers, a guy called Athanasius, um, and... Uh, a, a, a guy called Arius had risen up in the early church. He was saying, no, actually, the son, he's really, 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 really cool, really divine, but just not quite as divine as God the Father. Okay. It began this heresy called Arianism. It's almost like the, the foundational heresy of the church, okay. the, um, the one that just never goes away in church history. So Jehovah's Witnesses would be like this. If you say Jesus is just, I don't believe Jesus is just a man, they'll say, no, no, me neither, me neither. He's, and and they, they push him as close to God as you can get, but not quite there. Okay. It was Arianism. Um, and Athanasius stood up and he went, through, he, he went through immense suffering in order to protect this truth. Um, at one point, he was accused of murdering his rival, um, our, our senior. So Athanasius was put forward to be a bishop uh, and he was an orthodox guy. And then our senior, who, who was a, an Arian, um, was put forward as a rival. And the ones who wanted to get Athanasius, they were so determined about this is a theological debate, remember, going on in the church. They were so determined that Athanasius wouldn't be bishop that they accused him of murdering Arsenius. Um, and they passed around this art, this hand. Okay, imagine going to an AGM, okay, and we're like, yeah, we like um, whatever, we like Brett to be an elder. And someone goes, no, 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 he has murdered his rival for the job, and here's the murdered rival's arm. Okay, we start passing it around. Um, turns out he hadn't done, but to prove his innocence, Athanasius, to become bishop, kidnapped Arsenius and then brought him out and said look I haven't murdered him I've got him alive Um, and they still found him guilty of murder which is absolutely incredible Um, so he had a pretty exciting life Um, but you see the heat in these debates absolutely extraordinary heat in these debates another time they chased him down the river there was a boat chase um, uh, down the river and he went around a corner um, and realised he was going to get caught uh, and so he, he turned the boat round and started coming back towards his chasers, put his hood up. And it was a bit sort of dark and, and, and sort of murky. And so the two boats came back towards each other. The, the chasers shouted this boat coming back up river. Um, have you seen Athanasius? And Athanasius shouted back, yeah, he's not far from here. Because um, he didn't want to lie. <laughs> just straight back past them. And off he went. Anyway, those stories bear no relevance whatsoever. I just find them quite interesting. Quite fun. So... Huge debates in the early church of one nature, father and son. 
everything true of the Father, true of the Son. He is the only begotten Son. So, now you can go to your questions. Um, first one, essentially, where do you ins- to go in-, in Scripture to show that Jesus is God? Okay, I've just done John 1, so that one's cancelled. Try and find something else. Then why is it so important? Why is it so important? They're exactly the same nature, father and son. Okay, that's a bit of a thinker. And the third one's a hard one if you get time. But round tables, over you go. Okay, let's, uh, let's come back together there. We'll do a, um, we'll do a bit of feedback. Let, let, so where might you go in Scripture to sh- pull some ideas? Where might you go in the Bible to show Jesus really is God, not just... Uh, prophet or a teacher what do you come up with John chapter 8 John 8 go on uh, before Abraham was I am ok yeah. before Abraham was I am um, Jesus taking the, the divine name I am on his on his lips cool other ones what, where else do we go yeah. so there's the first commandment which is thou shalt have no other gods but me and the second thou shalt worship him uh-huh. apart from me and numerous times in the Brill, nice bit of judo from Theo. That's that's good work. So sometimes, if people, um, I don't know, Jehovah's Witness, the kind of people who thought about it a bit, they might have an answer to your kind of um, explicit verse like John one. Um, it's a wrong answer, but they might think they've got an answer to the word was God. But oh look, there's people worshiping Jesus, and we all know whether we're Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses. Jews, Christians, we all know that only God can be worshipped. So when Jesus accepts worship, hmm, okay, so yeah, it's kind of a bit of a ninja move, but it's, yeah, nice one. Other stuff people came up with? Good. There's loads, but uh, we'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep moving. It is, it, is, it, is worth, it is worth just having some things that we sleep. There are the direct verses. We've had some of them, Hebrews 1, or Thomas says to Jesus at the end of John's Gospel, my Lord and my God... Um, and again sometimes people try to explain it away he's just like an exclamation as if Thomas is going my lord and my god you know uh, it was just a ridiculous explanation as if well you, you laugh genuinely that's an explanation I've had from a, from a JW but um, as if like blasphemy you know as if Jesus and I yeah just blaspheme no worries um, I think the theos thing the worship thing is a really good one uh, sometimes you see Jesus doing things that only God can do that's another kind of classic um, slightly kind of less direct attack sometimes you see prof- prophets quoted and they say something like um, prepare the way for the Lord and then Jesus comes and you look up the prophet in the Old Testament who's he talking about he's talking about Yahweh so the whole whole bunch of stuff that is true of Yahweh in the Old Testament that gets applied to Jesus in the news so there's all there's sort of different ways you can do it but um, absolutely woven through obviously the New Testament why is it so important that Jesus is fully God why is it not okay for him to be just even just a little tiny notch different from the Father. Do you want to this? Bro, um, his sacrifice. Think, think about the gospel, the cross. Who is it that's dying for us on the cross? Um, t- two problems if he's not fully divine, if he's not really the God who made us. So if he's not the God who created us, remember, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So if there's, there's the God who made us and then this different nearly God thing that comes along to try and save us, well, it's not God rescuing, is it? Our, our debt is to the one who made us. And so a third party to come in 
to, to try and save us. It's, it's, it's not going to work. It's got to be the God who actually made us, who saves us, because that's the one we owe the debt to. You say, there's a problem in the kind of, doesn't work. So it's a third party trying to save us. And also the value of the sacrifice. What is it that gives Jesus his death? It's just infinite value. It's that it's the, the death of the Son of God. He dies as a man. We'll think about that in a few weeks. He doesn't, it's not that God dies as God, as it were, as if a third of the Trinity ceases to exist or any of that kind of nonsense. But it is the, the death of the Son of God. So the value is found as well um, in, in him being very God. Any other problems if he's not one nature with God? Because... Okay, so yeah, although there are some properties you shouldn't ignore, but if they've been sent by God, but yeah. Um, yeah, it might, it might, and certainly when he's, he's teaching about himself, you're kind of like, oh, just a minute, you're claiming something, but yeah. A big one is the one we've had already, worship. You can't worship someone who's not God. Okay, so if, he, if he's just sort of God-like, then no worshiping either. Did anyone get on to that last one? So really, one of the really interesting that happened in these debates, you'd think, um, well, the way, the, the way that the two sides presented it was, well, look, we, we all believe in God the Father. So even these Arians who wanted Jesus to be a notch low, we all believe in God the Father. It's just the sort of full divineness of the Son we're fighting about. And one of the kind of clever bits of sort of judo that, that the, the goodies like Athanasius came back with to the Arians who said that Jesus was just that notch lower was actually you're destroying the whole Trinity. You're not just... Um, uh, you're not just sort of ruining Jesus well, you're ruining God the Father. Why? Because if Jesus isn't eternally Son, then the Father isn't eternally Father. See what they're saying? Look, if, 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 if there was a point, even just a billionth of a second or whatever, where it was just the Father, just the one and no Son, then it's not inherent in who God is to be Father. He became a father at some point. So I'm not inherently a father. I am now a father because I had children. But 11, 12, 13 years ago, I wasn't a father. Well, so too with God. So it actually undermines the true fatherhood of God if there was ever a point when he didn't have a son. So actually, by diminishing the son, you end up diminishing the father as well. And, and also, just, I mean, just check this one out here, but when they insisted they are of one nature, so they have the same nature, by insisting they're of the same nature, even using that word same implies there are two, doesn't it? You can't be the same nature with yourself. That makes no sense. So even saying they're of the same nature showed that there must be at least two members of the Trinity. If that's making no sense, don't worry about it. Um, or catch me afterwards. So, Jesus Christ is only son. Um, the sonship showed the divinity of Christ. But what about the, the Christ, Jesus Christ? Um, Christ, as you, you may well know, is, is a Greek word. It means anointed. It's the same as Messiah, the Hebrew word Messiah. And it's therefore a, a word with roots in the Old Testament. Throughout the, the, the Old Testament, various people are Messiahed. There's, a, there's the verb to sort of Messiah someone, to anoint someone. Uh, the first person who's Messiahed is the, the high priest in Leviticus. He is Messiahed high priest. Um, it will be translated anointed, I think, in the ESV. And this anointing symbolised that this person had been set aside for a particular ministry, set aside by God for a particular ministry, so oil was poured on their head, and he was Messiahed, or Christed, anointed. 
And it happened to prophets, priests and kings. And so with all that background, when Jesus begins his public ministry, um, have a look at at Luke's Gospel, Luke and chapter 3. Um, Jesus baptised, you know the story of his baptism, and the spirit comes down on him like a dove. And in Luke, sorry, four, did I say three? Luke four, when Jesus begins the the public ministry, um, he picks up this prophecy of Isaiah, Luke four. He goes to the synagogue (coughs) in verse 16 uh, on the Sabbath, takes the scroll of Isaiah and then reads from it, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has messiahed me or Christed me or anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and so on. The spirit has Christed me. All those pourings of oil in the Old Testament really just pictures of the moment when God's son would come, come to earth as man, come to earth therefore as prophet, priest and king and not to have oil poured on him, but rather have the Holy Spirit poured on him to, to Christ him for his work. So he's the, the true Messiah, the prophet, the priest, and the king. Now, we did a whole series on this about two years ago, maybe a bit longer. So we're going to be super kind of surface level on it this morning. But um, I put on your sheet there the Heidelberg Catechism. Why is Jesus called Christ, meaning anointed? And it answers using these three categories. I think I was always taught as a teenager Christ means king. And it does, but it also means prophet and priest. So here's the heart of our catechism. Why is um, he called Christ, anointed Messiah? Because he's been ordained by God the Father and been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance, our only priest who's delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually pleads our cause with his Father, in other words, he intercedes for us, keeps praying for us, and our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit and who guards and keeps us in the freedom he's won for us. Prophet, priest and king. Now, we're going to talk about those offices around tables again. One little side note before we do. Um, The two parts of the the, the creed that we're looking at this morning, the son, God only son, who was the Messiah. Um, Did it have to be God the son who became the Messiah, the Christ? Could it have been the Holy Spirit who took on flesh or the father who took on flesh became man um, I found this really hope from a guy called uh, Mark Jones he, he points out that it's fitting that it was God the son uh, why first of all God the son becoming man becoming the son of Mary and Joseph makes sense because he is the one who's eternally the son it'd be weird for God the father to become the son of Mary and Joseph Okay, so there's a fittingness there Secondly, says Jones, he's the middle person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so there's a fittingness that he becomes the the middle person between heaven and earth, the mediator. We'll look at this in the future weeks. The one who goes between God and man in order to reconcile us. There's a fittingness to that kind of middle um, person. Uh, There's a fittingness to the work of adoption. He is eternally the Son of God. And so it makes sense that he's the one who comes to earth, becomes one of us, so that when we join him and we're united to him, we become sons. We become sons as we are united to the son. We're sons in the son. In other words, we're, we're adopted. We become children of God, not just by something Jesus does, but, but, but by who he is. He, very much, he just is in his being, the son of God. 
And then finally, when you think about these offices, prophet, priest, and king, uh, the priest is always the, the firstborn son down the line of Aaron. Firstborn son, Jesus, son of God. The prophet is the, the word of the father. What do we read about Jesus being called in John 1? He's the word of God. Prophets speak the word of God, so there's a fittingness there. Um, and who inherits a kingdom? Well, a kingdom goes to the son. So the fittingness there. So Jones, I think it, it at, at least is saying it is fitting, most fitting, that it was God the Son who came down um, to redeem, to become Christ, rather than Father or Holy Spirit. My suspicion is that we, we spend most of our time thinking about Jesus' priest who, who died for us, um, cleanse us, forgive us, pay the sacrifice for our sins. But actually, even today, ongoing, week by week, day by day, hour by hour, we need Jesus as our prophet and our king as much as our priest. Um, so, background tables, um, for most of the remainder of our time, we'll do sort of seven or eight minutes on this. Um, think about this week, when in just everyday life do we particularly need Jesus in each of his three roles? Okay, or, or to put the question another way around, in what circumstances will it be most helpful to focus on one or the other office? When do we particularly need to remember Jesus' king or Jesus' prophet or yeah, I put. I mean, look at the, the Heidelberg Catechism quote will help at the top. You can skim down to a quote from a guy called William Ames. It might help you at the bottom, but you don't need to use it. And then, is, is there one you're most likely to ignore as well? Background tables. Over to you. Okay, let's um, come at it. Just as we wrap up, does anyone want to... We're not going to go through all those questions. Anyone want to ask anything? I realised I didn't stop questions earlier. People happy? I just see, so I'm going to take that as a yes. Um, I think the really helpful stuff for me on this is... Oh, sorry, someone got their hand up. I genuinely can't see. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I was which book recommendations would you give on Christ being prophet priest? Very good, very good. I'll pick one. It's a ringer. Man of Sorrows, King of Glory. You can come. You can come again. Good, good, good. Um, <laughs> Has anyone met my brother? Uh, um, I think that the real, the real help is, well, for me at least. Um, we did this series a couple of years ago. I, I think you, probably we've been well taught that when we sin, we need to go to Jesus' priest, cleansing, forgiveness, um, remembering his total sacrifice. But I think in my head, somehow, it had almost become like the thing Jesus did was this sacrifice 2,000 years ago, and now he's gone back to heaven and one day will return. But in between, you know, almost almost like I wasn't sure what to do with him. I mean, that's a bit of a crude way of putting it. But, but actually, I'm, I'm meant to be like, say, Bartimaeus on, the, on the, the road, blind Bartimaeus, who's crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then when Jesus says, what do you want me to do? He says, let me see. So every time I come to the Bible, I'm meant to be coming to Jesus as prophet. Jesus, I need to see, and only you can give me sight. Um, Jesus King. I, I, there's so many things in the world that are stronger than me. The devil is stronger than me. Um, my sin can overpower me. But I've got a king who has conquered for me. So when I'm struggling with sin or temptation, if I try and just, I'm going to take this on, on my, you know, I'm probably going to lose. Jesus, your king, your lord, you've conquered. I need Jesus as king to, again, drive out um, 
my enemies, protect me from my enemies. So it's, you're seeing, as it were, a, a, the whole Christ um, and seeing how he meets us in all our needs, not just our need for cleansing, um, although clearly that's central, but, but our need for understanding, wisdom, protection, and so on. And that, that is why he's become as Christ. He has come as a full, a full Messiah um, to rescue us in every way. Let me pray, and then we'll head next door. Lord Jesus, we're sorry for when we've neglected such great salvation, and we pray in your mercy you'd make us men, women, children who come to you in all our needs. We pray we'd be dependent on you for all revelation, all understanding, all insight, that we wouldn't trust ourselves, we wouldn't trust our Bible reading skills, we wouldn't um, rely on our, our wisdom and, uh, and knowledge, but on your grace to reveal good things to us. We pray we'd remember to turn to you in times of trial, temptation, and when we feel overwhelmed or overpowered. Thank you that you are a good king. And we praise you that even when our prayer life is uh, flailing and so weak, uh, you constantly live to make intercession for us. You are a priest who brings our needs before our Heavenly Father. You are a priest who cleanses who we can always come to uh, because you understand our weakness. Uh, make us a church, we pray, who come to you in prayer, not just weekly or daily, but, but hourly, uh, as, as every need and situation arises. Pour your spirit on us to that end, we pray. In your own name. Amen.